Well, it's good to be back up here. Last week we were gone. Some of you maybe got some misinformation. Um, last year we took off and went out west on this very long extended vacation. It was great to be away. This year it was just a weekend trip to Indiana. So we weren't gone on, you know, some of the, hey, how was your vacation? Well, it was actually a weekend away. It was a smaller trek to Indiana, so we went west, sort of. Um, we went to celebrate Jenny's birthday. One thing she really wanted for her birthday was to get our family together and go see a Chicago Cubs game. That's all she wanted for her birthday. Maybe a few other things, but that was the big one. Um, and so we gathered up uh, some of my, my sister-in-law and nephew's nieces, uh, rented a 15-passenger van and another vehicle, and drove through the streets of Chicago to get to a Cubs game. So that's where we were last weekend with family. Uh, but it's good to be back up here. But the thing is, why am I showing you this? Because, trust me, there's a reason behind this. Because at the end of every Cubs game, if they win, <clears throat> or I should say it more positively, when they win, um, they sing this song. Go Cubs, go. Go Cubs, go. Hey, Chicago, what do you say? Cubs are going to win today. And it goes on, and there's more of a tune to it, but you don't want to hear me sing it. But anyway, so everybody's getting fired up, and they sing that song. Now, um, it's fun to be there in person and, and sing along. And it's even more fun when you have an Atlanta Braves fan sitting behind you that's been annoying all game, and the Chicago wins, and you sort of stand up, and you sort of turn your body just a little bit. Don't worry, I didn't yell at them. I just sang the song a little bit louder. I wanted to make sure they knew I was happy about the team winning. So... But it was a fun time. It was a joyful time. But here's the thing. If, if you're a fan of the Cubs, it's your victory song. And you, you have all the pride in the world to say, I'm celebrating. I'm, I'm singing this song out of victory. And there's, there's sort of filling your heart, right? There was another song that came out of Chicago, supposedly out of Chicago. A gentleman by the name of Claire Herbert Woolston. He was a preacher from Chicago, Illinois in the 1800s, the late 1800s, and he wrote out these words. And then this composer by the name of George Root took those words and put it to a tune. And the, actually the tune that he put it to came out of the Civil War. It was a marching song as the soldiers would march into war. They had this tune that they sang. He took that tune, put these words to it. Um, you may not know what it is, so let me put up on the screen, Jesus loves the little children. Now, you can, can you sort of imagine as he was thinking in his mind, Jesus loves the little children. You can sort of see it now, right? Okay. All the children of the world, what is it? Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. So as I was thinking about that song that came out of Chicago, it sort of hit me. It's like, that's the Christian's victory song. Isn't it? That Jesus loves all the children of the world. Red, yellow, black, white. Educated, uneducated. Rich, poor. Doesn't matter who these people are. God loves them. John three sixteen. What a beautiful scripture that says, For God so loved what? The, the world. Yeah. So he loves the world. And here's the thing. Does the world include you? Yes or no? Yes, the world includes you. Let me help you on that. Okay. So God so loves the world. He gave us one and only son that whoever, that includes all of us, right? Whoever believes in him will be saved. And so I'm looking at us thinking this, that, that whosoever believes on him, that's everyone. Red, yellow, black, white, educated, uneducated. Pick whatever background you want. Jew, Gentile, which you would hear in scripture, right? They are all precious in God's sight. 
And I think that's important to know because that's not a fairy tale. That's not a fable. That is truth. And as a Christian, that's part of our marching song. If you were as a child and you sang that song, Jesus Loves Little Children, if you sang that song in Sunday school or growing up in your church, vacation Bible school, there was sort of something behind it that felt good to sing it, right? I don't ever remember singing that song with a frown on my face. There's always the smiles like, man, Jesus loves all the children. Red, yellow, black, white. I'm, I'm precious in his sight. It's such a good, victorious song, right? When our series, Let's Go, uh, we've been studying the book of Acts. And recently I asked the question, how are the people of God supposed to be living? And so we took a little diversion. We went to in Colossians chapter 3 because here's the thing. We serve a holy God. We just sang about a holy God. As we are serving a holy God, we are holy. And in Colossians 3, it says as God's chosen people, his holy and beloved people, here's how we're supposed to live. We talked about like clothing articles in scripture. It's like put off this and you put on this. And the one thing that we were supposed to put on that binds all of it was love. That was, that was sort of like the, the thing that brought all the clothing articles together, right? It's that outside belt that sort of wraps you up and makes you look good, the finishing touch. That's love. Love, though, is not necessarily tolerance because sometimes we think, oh, I'll just tolerate that. That's not love. Sometimes love is tough. But just as Jesus loves us, he says, I want you to love others. Jesus loves the little children. And I believe God wants us to love them too. And I'm not talking about just children and infants. I'm talking about everybody of every age. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 10. As we've learned about the apostles and their ministry uh, to people, uh, we've seen the beginning of the spreading of the good news. It started to move out of Jerusalem into the area, regions and cities and, and the locations all around. And as that was going out into other locations, then we heard about a guy by the name of uh, Saul, who later becomes Paul. And if you remember that, it's like, oh, wow, who's this guy? Right? Oh, he hated Christians. He put them in prison. But God changed them. Wow, that's awesome. Let's hear more about him. And it's like, oh, not yet. We want to talk about Peter and a few others. So now we get to chapter 10. It's like, okay, well, let's go back to Peter, one of the apostles. So that's where we are, chapter 10. Let's start in verse 1. In Caesarea, there lived a Roman officer named Cornelius, who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in the household. He gave generously to the poor, and he prayed regularly to God. Know this about Caesarea. It's a predominantly Roman province, okay? It was along the shores of the Mediterranean, Judea. It was the headquarters of the Roman government. Uh, and so it was believed that Pontius Pilate, who we remember from the story of Jesus, uh, even though he was in Jerusalem at the time, this was where he probably lived the majority of the time. Heavily Roman-occupied area. So here's the thing. Cornelius was a Roman officer in this location. But there's something about, you have to understand this too. If you're a Roman, you're sort of like on the same level as tax collectors. If you're a Jew, you didn't like certain people. You didn't like Samaritans. Definitely didn't like tax collectors. And Romans are a close third place. Really don't like them as well. Because we know the Romans were very brutal and bullish towards the Jews. Let's remember who put Jesus on the cross, right? Who actually followed through the execution orders. So although despised, there's something that's different about Cornelius. Oh, he's a Roman officer, so he should be the enemy, right? So if we were having a play right now and, and Cornelius was to march on the stage, you'd hear out in the crowd, boo, 
booed, right? Because nobody would like him, right? But there's something different about Cornelius that makes you say, I can't boo this dude. He's a devout, God-fearing man and his whole family. And it says that there's evidence of his faith as he gave generously to those who were poor and he prayed regularly. So he's, here's the thing. He's all these things, but you know what he's not? He's not a Jew. He didn't follow the full customs of the Jew, like eating or not eating certain foods or being circumcised. See, the Jewish people at this time, they would respect Cornelius and these, these other God-fearing Gentiles. I'll respect you for the fact that you fear God, but you're not a Jew. You've not followed through with everything else. We're God's special people. You are not, so you're still distinctly different and you need to be over there, right? We can't really share meals together. We can't hang out together. You can't even come to my house. I can't go to your house. There's a separation here between Jew and Gentile. Look at verse 3. One afternoon, about 3 o'clock, Cornelius had this vision which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said, and Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it? He asked the angel. The angel replied, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He's staying with Simon, a tanner who lives in the seashore. Now we're not told specifically what was going on when Cornelius, whether he was praying or not, but it was the ninth hour, which is three o'clock in the afternoon, which is when the Jews would typically pray. So you sort of think like, well, maybe he's praying at the same time the Jews would pray. And it wasn't a dream because this angel physically appeared to him. He tells uh, later in Acts chapter 10, verse 30 uh, to Peter that this man stood right beside me in these bright clothing. The angel calls him by name. Just pause for a moment and just put yourself there. At three o'clock in the afternoon, you're getting ready to pray. And all of a sudden you have this incredible image of this angel standing next to you. He calls you by name. Are you frightened? Absolutely. That's what the fear of God should do to all of us. When something like that happens, you know, it's, it, it, our hearts should beat twice as fast. We should fall to our knees if this would ever happen to us, right? And what's the first thing that comes out of our mouth? Well, with Cornelius, it's, what do you want? Almost like that, here I am, Lord, send me. What do you want? Well, the angel gave some instructions. And most likely Cornelius didn't know who this Peter was, but he's like, I don't know who he is, but I need to be obedient. So think about what's happening here. Cornelius needs to know God better. He's a God-fearing man. But obviously there's something there, yet he doesn't know all that he needs to know about God. God could have very simply said, I'm just going to have my angel explain to you what you need to know about me. But he didn't, did he? He's like, I'm going to send my angel to tell Cornelius that he needs to talk to another person. And I'm going to use another person there on earth to share the good news with Cornelius. I think it's pretty incredible here that God can do whatever he wants to do. But God often chooses us to share good news with others. Think about who you've been around in your, in your lifetime Maybe before you knew Jesus, somebody came to you and said, I need to tell you about Jesus. And they took you to church, they took you to a concert, they took you somewhere, and they introduced you to Jesus Christ. See, you were the Cornelius in that moment. And whoever that person was that told you about Jesus was Peter. Or maybe you've been there for somebody else. 
do not disqualify yourself thinking you are not good enough to be used by God. God wants to use his people to share the good news. Look at verse seven. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier. So he's got three guys here, two servants, one soldier of his personal attendants. He told them what happened and he sent them off to Joppa. Now, meanwhile, while this is going on, we go to Simon the Tanner's house. And we read, the next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. It was about noon. He was hungry. That's an important thing to put in there. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. So think about this. There's about 30 miles apart right now. Peter's up on the roof praying. He's hungry. His belly's like probably like making noises. And you all know what it's like. It's hard to pray when you're distracted. It's hard to pray when you're hungry, isn't it? You're like praying like, you know, we used to have our church service at the movie theater. That's where we first started. And, and I want to tell you something. Towards the end of the service, it got a little bit difficult to wrap up the service. You know why? Because we could smell the popcorn. And it was like, oh, it's so hard to get focused right now. And it's like, because I can smell popcorn, right? Well, here's Peter. You know, they're making food downstairs. And he's hungry. And he goes into this trance. He's up on this top of this rooftop, which was normal, to go up and pray. And while he's up there, this trance is, is further defined sort of like, like his, he's awake, but his mind got fixated on something. And what did his mind get fixated on? Look what it says in verse 11 to 16. He saw the sky open. Something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles and birds. Then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. And Peter's like, good, because I'm hungry. Remember that was in there, right? Now look what verse 14 says. No, Lord, Peter declared. I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. I, I, come on, Peter. A sheet is let down, and as he sees the sheet come down, there's all kinds of animals. God says, I want you to get up, Peter. I want you to kill and eat. Oh, look, I put a pig on there. That means bacon. Come on, Peter. And Peter's like, not having bacon. Now, for all of you that's like, I just want to let you know, God's good with bacon. Because I believe because of this, this scripture right here, something like that, I might be stretching it just a little bit, okay? Now I've lost all of you, and you're not anywhere in scripture with me because you're thinking lunchtime now, double bacon cheeseburger or something. Okay, anyway, so... He's like, ah, oh, yeah, I see the pork. And, but here's the thing. Um, I'm, a, I'm a devout Jew. There's things called kosher and non-kosher. There are certain things that we can eat and things that we cannot eat. Cannot eat that, God. And I'm, nope, no, Lord, I'm not going to. Okay, can I just think, stop and think about this for a second here? How wise is it to tell God no? I, I mean, his response was, no, no, Lord. God says, hey, Peter, this is what I want you to do. No, I don't think so. No, really? I mean, Peter, you walked with Jesus. You were buddies with Jesus. You called him your Lord. You said he is Christ, right? He is the king, right? And you're saying no to him? You're saying no. To, well, let's remember, Peter did this before. Jesus like, come on, we need to go to Jerusalem where I must suffer. No, Jesus, we're not going there. Peter, get behind me, right? Guys, I need to wash your feet. Peter, come here. No, Lord, you cannot wash my feet. This wasn't the first time Peter said no to Jesus. I, think about Peter. 
Yeah, he's a, he's a Christian. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's going from town to town telling people about Jesus Christ, telling them about the good news, right? But this is the same Peter that tried to walk on water and sank. This is the same Peter that when he was in the garden with Jesus, tried to protect him, pulls out a sword and cuts off the ear of the servant. This is the same Peter that denied Jesus three times. This is the same Peter that failed and failed and failed and failed. And Jesus kept saying, I know you have failed in life, but here's the thing. In Christ, which I am in you, you're going to be okay. And I know you're going in the right direction. And I want to keep working through you. And I think that's good news for all of us. Because not one of us in here are perfect, me included. We make mistakes all the time. And we, dis, we basically put these disclaimers out there like, I am not good enough to tell people about Jesus because I've got things going on in my life. You know what? So did Peter. And God said, I'm picking you, Peter. Go tell people about me. And I believe he does the same with all of us. He chooses every one of us in this room to say, basically say, I want to work through you. Look at verse 15. The voice spoke again. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times and the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. You know, in Old Testament thinking, uh, there was this thing of holy and common. And then the holy would be made common if it came into contact with something that was common and could only be made holy again if it was then through a ritual cleansing, right? And then when something was, was made holy, it was called consecration. So when we sing songs about being consecrated unto the Lord, we're basically saying, I want to be made holy unto the Lord. But something that is holy, if it was made unholy, was called desecration. It was like we read about how the temple was desecrated when they went in and they, they stole things from it and they, they made it a mess. God was basically telling Peter, listen, I'm the one who tells you what's clean and unclean, okay? I'm going to tell you what you can and cannot touch. And here's the thing. This wasn't about food. Even though the vision came with food, it wasn't about food. It was about, I believe, who I can and cannot talk to. Who I can and cannot share the gospel with. Who I can hang out with and who I shouldn't hang out with. God repeated this three times. And we know this. Repetition always signifies importance in the Bible. You see something repeated over and over and it's like, put, put up a little flag. This is important. Look what it goes on to say. Peter was very perplexed. What could this vision mean? Just then the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house. Standing outside the gate. They asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, Hey, three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, go with them, go to them without hesitation. Don't worry, I've sent them. So the vision ends. Peter, Peter's confused. Cornelius' messengers arrive at the door right at the same time. The Holy Spirit says to Peter, Hey, by the way, there's three guys down at your door. Go down and uh, go meet them. I've sent them your way. All right, let's read on. Peter went down and said, I'm the man you're looking for. Now, I'm going to pause because I wonder if there was a pause here. Because this is what happens. Peter is a Jew. These three men showing up are not Jews. He gets to the door and he's like, well, remember, the Holy Spirit said, I'm sending three people to meet you. Oh, you know what I love is if, if you're an evangelist, a pastor, and God says, I'm sending three people who want to hear about Jesus your way. I'd be like, yes. Because a lot of time we go to people and they don't want to hear about Jesus, right? So here's three people coming who want to hear about Jesus. Over, hey, glad you're here. There had to be a pause because one's dressed like a Roman soldier and the other two are messengers. And he recognizes right away, these are Gentiles. These are not Jews. 
And he's like, Ugh, why have you come? I have no idea what kind of tone inflection, or whether there's a pause or not, but in my mind I'm wondering there might have been, right? Look at verse 22. They said, we were sent by Cornelius, a Roman officer. He is a devout, God-fearing man, well-respected by all the Jews. A holy angel instructed him to summon you to his house so that we or he can hear your message. So Peter invited the men in to stay for the night. The next day he went with them and accompanied by some of the brothers from Joppa. Okay, he must have been shocked when they show up, right? But here's the shocker. The shocker is when Peter's like, come on in. Okay, Jews don't do that. No, you, you do not invite Gentiles into your house. You do not let them stay at your house. You do not let them sleep at your house. And you definitely don't let them sit around the table with you and eat. But Peter did. You know why Peter did? Because God just told him what was clean and unclean. He just gave him this vision and prepared him for what was coming and said, I'll tell you who you can and cannot hang around with. But God, do you not understand what kind of people they are? Do you know what their behavior's like? Do you know what? I've been at their place before. The words they use, the actions they have, the things they watch. I really shouldn't be around these people. God's like, I want you to go tell them about Jesus. But God, they're different. I want you to go tell them about Jesus. Let me tell you who is clean and unclean, okay? I'll define that. You go tell them about Jesus. And that's what's going on here. I believe sometimes we're a little confused when we look around in an unbelieving world and we're like, how am I supposed to be in this world but not of this world, as Scripture says? How am I supposed to tell people about Jesus without becoming like the world? It begins by obediently hearing God's voice and obeying His commands. Basically just showing them love. Looking at people that are different than you and I and saying, you know what, you have value. You see, if God created me with value and he created you with value, then I need to look at my neighbor. I need to look at people that I don't know or people that I don't like and say, but they have value. God created them. That's where it starts. I cannot decide whether they are unclean or clean. That's God's. That's God's role, right? So the next day, Peter obediently travels with them from Joppa. Uh, he took a few of his buddies with him. I like that because maybe he was sort of in his mindset thinking, you know what, I'm not sure if something might be said about me. I'm a church leader. And if I go with these guys to the house of a Gentile, I might be excommunicated from my church. People might think differently of me. So I'm going to take a couple of my buddies with me so they are eyewitnesses to whatever goes on over here. And let me tell you something we'll read later in Scripture. They were very encouraged and impressed, right? Let's read on verse 24. They arrived in Caesarea the following day. Cornelius was waiting for them, and he had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered his home, Cornelius fell at his feet and worshipped him, but Peter pulled him up and said, Stand up, I'm a human being just like you. This is an incredible moment. Cornelius is waiting. He's like, I sent my messengers. Let's see, calculate the number of the hours it's going to take to walk the distance and get back with with this Peter who I've never met before. But this angel said, go get him. So he's coming. Uh, Okay, he should be back anytime. Hey, get the family around. We don't know how long they're waiting, but they're waiting. And and they show up and Peter comes in. What's the first thing they do? They just bow. They fall at his feet, right? And Peter's like, I'm just a human being. Translation, don't worship me. You worship God. Church, let me tell you something. If you have anybody in this life that you are worshiping other than God, stop. Stop. Quit falling at the feet of people. We fall only at the feet of Jesus. 
And if you ever hear me say, hey, that was a good message, let me hear you, let me hear you say an amen. Let me, I want to know that you like what I just said. If you ever hear me do that, fire me on the spot. Seriously, elders, come take me, march me out of here because it is not about Rex Stump. It is not about anybody who stands up here. It's only about Jesus. And if we start worshiping people instead of worshiping Jesus, we are in trouble. We worship only Jesus. Aren't you so thankful that Peter's like, stop. <laughs> Get, you know, no, I'm just a human being. Peter shows the examples all church leaders should pay attention to. We're just humans, just like you. I'm your brother in Christ. God just picked me to stand up here basically to be the preacher, to be your shepherd. Not to be worshipped, okay? And I love that Peter sets the tone. Look what happens next. It says they, they talked together, they went inside where many others were assembled. Peter told them, you know it is against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. So I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. Now tell me why you sent me. That is probably one of the most, you know, this is like one of the most powerful verses right here. And we probably overlook it. I've overlooked it. And I I had to go back and think about this, meditate on it for a while. It is so short. It is so powerful. But it's really simple. So they went inside. Yeah. No, no, no. Listen. They went inside. Peter, the devout Jew, went inside the house of a Gentile. Peter said, This is how you witness to people. This is how you show the love of God to people. You do not judge them by their skin color, by their race, by their economic background. You don't judge them by their behavior. You don't judge them by whatever. You don't judge them by, oh, their house is so horrible or their neighborhood. It's like, you know what? I'm going in with you because, you know, I want to tell you about my Savior. That's what we're called to do. It's a powerful moment in Scripture. And here's the thing. It basically comes down to this. It's all about trusting and obeying. How many of you have sang that song, Trust and Obey? Remember that song? When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Remember that song? I don't know if you ever sang it as a kid. You sang it in your church growing up. We sang it a lot. We sang it often. And I'll tell you what, those words meant nothing to me when I was a kid. You know why? Because I had the word obey in there. And I'm a kid. And my parents were like, you better obey my rules, right? And it's like, I don't obey. So I'm going to sing trust and obey? Forget it, right? And I equate that with trusting God and obeying God. But now as an adult, I'm looking at this, these words and I'm thinking, these are rich. These lyrics are rich. Look at the third verse. Because again, in the Baptist church, you don't sing all the verses. You like first and third or first and fourth. But this was the third one. Then in fellowship suite, we will sit at his feet or we'll walk by his side in the way. What he says, we will do. Where he sends, we will go. Never fear. Only trust and obey. I, you know, I don't, have, you know, I didn't research like who wrote this song, but I think Peter could have. He trusted the voice of God and he obeyed God. And so to those that we would consider unworthy, unlovable, unlikable, hard to get along, God says, love them. <laughs> love them. Yes, love them. You don't, you don't have to approve of their behavior. You don't have to celebrate the, the things they're doing. You just need to love them. They have value. And they're not going to listen to you share about the God that you love if 
you're not going to show them that they have value. There's probably some confusion as to why he was here. And, and Peter says, well, let me tell you why I'm here. I, God told me, he gave me this vision. And, and so because he gave me this vision, all of a sudden it's like, I'm supposed to be here. You know, it takes me back to the year 2005. See, in 2005, I just started being the area rep for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. I had five counties, Fulton, Henry, Williams, Defiance, and Paulding counties I was in charge of. I was the head volleyball coach at Wallaceon High School. So I'm coaching a fall team. I'm in charge of five counties. And then I've got my family, my wife, and kids. And it's like, whew, i got a lot on my plate right now. And then I get a phone call from an assistant coach over at Defiance College and says, hey, the head coach would like to meet with you. He'd like to get a chaplain here at Defiance College. And I'm thinking, Okay, it's part of my role, right? Defiance County, I cover that. So drove over. This is before 24, so it's a little bit longer of a drive without that road. Get there, and I'm sitting down in the cafeteria with the coach, players, and the culture. The culture is different. I, for years, I was a youth pastor hanging out in the church and that, right? Now I'm in the, in the, on a college campus in the cafeteria with a bunch of football players, and anything and everything goes, right? And it's like, well, it's a little bit different of a culture. You know, in, in other words, clean, unclean. Keep that in mind, okay? So I'm sitting there talking with the coach. The coach is telling me about what he wants. A couple of days out of the week, come over here and hang out and work with the players. I'm thinking, that's a lot. I don't know if I could do that. And Looking at my schedule, and, and I'm like, I don't think I can. Um, I started in my mind, okay, who could I call? Who else could do this job for me? Because I don't think I can. And then I thought, oh, let's just change the subject. Uh, coach, tell me uh, about your family. And he goes, oh, well, I live in Waterville. And I'm going, Waterville, man, that's a long drive to Defiance to Waterville. And again, this is before 24, okay? Um, so I'm thinking, what do you, uh, how do you, and before I could say, goes, sometimes I don't go home. I sleep on the couch in my office, and I just stay there. Um, I, I don't see my family often during the coaching season. I'm thinking, wow. Now, I want to take you back. Just two hours before I met with Coach, I was reading a book called Raising a Modern Day Knight. As a godly man, I want to raise godly boys. So I'm reading this book, chapter five. I was in chapter five that day. It's about Bo Jackson, one of the greatest uh, athletes, professional athletes out there, played two sports. But as I'm reading this chapter about Bo Jackson, the whole point was, even though he's a professional athlete in two sports, his dad never came to one event. I'm sorry, but if one of my boys is a professional athlete in one sport, I'm probably retiring and just going to follow him around, okay? But he didn't go to one game in two professional sports of his son. He was an absentee father. And that's what the whole chapter is about, being an absentee father. And it's like, I do not want to be an absentee father. I want to be there for my family. Close up the book right now. Let's go back to where I was, sitting there at lunch. And he's telling me that he lives this distance, and he doesn't even go home to see his family. And then it's like, well, tell me about your family. He goes, well, my, my son's name is Bo. I've got a daughter named Lexi, and I've got another son named Jackson. I didn't even hear Lexi's name. All I heard was Bo and Jackson. And I was like, did you say Bo and Jackson? He goes, oh, yeah, Bo Jackson was my favorite athletes. We named him after Bo Jackson. I'm going, you know, you know what my mind did? I felt like Peter. Hours ago, God was showing me this story about Bo Jackson being an absentee father. And God laid on my heart, never be an absentee father. And now I'm sitting with a coach who's an absentee father. I looked at the coach and I said, coach, I don't know how it's going to work. I'm supposed to be here. And for the next 10 plus years, I developed a relationship with that coach and that team. That proved to be where God's saying, Rex, just trust me on this. Obey me on this. I'm very thankful for it. And, that, and that's what Peter understood, that the vision was about people. It wasn't about food, right? So let me ask you this. Who is God calling you to share your faith with? 
Who have you said, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I should be with them. Who has God been telling you, you need to share your faith? You know, uh, there's, there's incredible, a lot of incredible ministries around here. You know, last week, Pastor Michael Spencer was here, preached from God's word on the sacredness of life. I really appreciate him preaching with truth and grace last week. Um, although issue one did not pass, that just means this church and other churches, we better get on our knees and be ready for that valley in November. Uh, and, and listen, we need to stand for the sacredness of life, okay? Um, this is not a time for us to stand idle in our faith. If anything, we need to be not only raising godly children, but teaching children who God is. So I'm very thankful for different organizations out there. Besides the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, Youth for Christ, Campus Crusade, I just want Jesus on the campus. That's all I want. People say, do you want FC on that, in that school? I don't care which organization brings it in. I just want Jesus in that school. So some of you have heard about LifeWise Academy. LifeWise Academy has, has, become, has been going on pretty strong in, in Ohio, but now in our area, it's become even more so over the last uh, few months. Maybe you've caught wind of it. Uh, our church is supported behind LifeWise Academy. We have dozens of people that are involved in fundraising, committees, and actually teachers uh, that are, are in the area schools from, from Delta and Pettisville and Wauseon, uh, Archibald, and, and just surrounding schools. People that have contacted me, and they said, why have you not had Mr. Burkholder come up here and tell people about LifeWise? I said, because we don't have anybody stand up here and talk about anything like that. I mean, we support it, and we've got flyers out there. If you want to know more about it, if you want to talk to me about it, you can. I'll, I'll share with you what I know. Uh, I've known the guy that started the organization for many years. Um, it's a godly ministry that wants to reach people uh, or help children know who Jesus is. Uh, any of those organizations, or, or hey, let's start here, our church, the kids right here. From our children's classes to Wednesday night, you want to say, I want to, tell people, I want to tell kids about Jesus. How about you start here? Get your feet wet, or if you've been doing that, then branch out. Regardless, if God's calling you to go share Jesus with somebody, children, adults, whoever it may be, I want to encourage you, trust and obey. Because the whosoever's are out there and they're just waiting to hear the good news. Worship team, would you come forward, please? I'm going to put one last scripture on the screen. Part of the message that as Peter was in the house with Cornelius, he was talking to him, verse 36, he goes, this is the message of good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. D don't underestimate the power of that last sentence. Not of the Jews, of all. Peter realized that the good news was for everybody. And he went on to say in verse 42, and he ordered us to preach everywhere and testify, Jesus is the one who appointed by God to be the judge of all, the living and the dead. He is the one of the prophets that testified about, saying that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. Everyone who believes in the name of Jesus Christ will be saved. Everyone who prays to Jesus and asks for forgiveness will be forgiven. Everyone. So that everyone is part of the whosoevers that are out there. And if you're worried about who you're supposed to be talking to at work, at home, at school, on your team, they are the whosoevers. Don't sit there and say, well, they're unclean, they're clean. Let God do that. Just be obedient. If he's saying, go share the good news, go share the good news. Would you stand, please? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. I thank you for this, this moment in Peter's life is where it was revealed. It's like, 
the gospel is for everyone. It's the whosoever believes. It's for everyone. Red, yellow, black, white. Educated, uneducated, Jew, Gentile, Greek, whoever. The person at work that we get annoyed by. That kid on the team that we just don't get along with. Maybe it's somebody at home that we really care about. We just don't know how to tell them that Jesus loves them. Heavenly Father, thank you for reminding us that you want everyone to know you. That you want everyone to be saved and that anyone who believes in your name will be saved. So Heavenly Father, if you're laying on on our hearts right now, somebody that needs to know the truth, that somebody who needs to hear about the love of Jesus, Lord, make it clear. We ask for a divine appointment that, that maybe as, even as we're walking out of here today, somebody gets a text message from that person that we need to share with saying, hey, I just want to meet with you. Lord, as you're working in our hearts, start working in the heart of the person that needs to hear the truth. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this church. Thank you for your love. In thy name we pray, amen.